Well, first of all, thank you very much to Andre for the invitation. Thank you, thank you very much to all of you for coming here and listening to me. So as Emre uh, anticipated, um, well, I will talk about trade unions and agency migrant workers in the inside-outsider debates with a comparison between Belgium and Germany. Um, I must say that uh, this is very much into industrial relations uh, sort of uh, uh, literature understanding of the labor market, of course, policy. Um, we embedded also the uh, kind of migrant perspective into it because it was quite relevant. But I must say, I'm not a migrant or expert in migrant studies. So I'm, uh, you know, I accepted also the invitation because I would like also to learn a lot about this really very interesting field of study and, uh, you know, being here. Uh, with all of you today, I'm pretty sure that will give me a lot of thinking uh, about that. Um, now, what this, uh, well, this is a paper which has been published already in Work Employment and Society in 2015, and which basically uh, was based on an empirical research, which was part of a much larger project on flexibility and security in multinational companies. And what we were actually interested at that time to do uh, is to understand what kind of processes uh, are uh, uh, driving the kind of uh, flexibility arrangements, uh, bargaining arrangements uh, between flexibility and security in workplaces. Uh, the reason was because we were actually uh, interested in trying to uh, kind of um, shift a bit the debate about flexibility from the more kind of labor market perspective into workplaces. Yeah, and that's what, why we uh, developed this kind of project. Um, where we also have been, you know, this is one of the publications out of it, but we had also other publications. Oh, if you want to talk about flexibility and security, then we could also uh, address this point. Now, um, regarding this paper, um, probably I will move. Um, so, as we know, and as we also say in the introduction of our uh, uh, paper, which was co-authored with Guglielmo Meardi from Warwick University and Nadia Doffingen uh, from Kyle Leuven as well, in CESO, uh, was that uh, well, if you look at the reforms which have been uh, developed since the last 20 years in labor market in Europe, we actually uh, see that these reforms, they refer to what normally is called as the insider-outsider theoretical debate or divides which is a very kind of um, uh, uh, theoretical uh, understanding about how segmentation works in labor market, very much based on socioeconomic understanding of how labor markets do they work. And the way how this uh, sort of literature debate approached the uh, idea of the trade unions uh, dealing with the insider-outsider debate is that basically trade unions are here seen as an obstacle uh, to the employment opportunities which normally are seen as available to the outsiders. And why? Because simply that's what, particularly from political scientist perspective, comes out, and there is a large literature on that, uh, trade unions make some political choices. They make some kind of uh, uh, deliberate and, uh, choices regarding what kind of groups in the labor market do they want to protect. And what do they do at the end of the day? They protect the insiders, the so-called core, uh, stable, permanent workers, uh, rather than the outsiders, which are, in fact, the flexibility are seen as the periphery of the labor market. So what is important here to see is that the, according, again, to this you know, literature, which it goes back to the, the 80s, mostly, um, what is important here to see is, again, that the, the, there is a kind of deliberate choice of the unions to decide what kind of groups of workers do they protect. 
Now, this debate moved a bit since the last years, and particularly there was an interesting article published by uh, uh, Bruno Pallier and uh, Catherine Thielen on politics and society in 2010, which in fact brought this debate a bit further. Uh, why? Because Pallier and Thielen, they argued uh, that the uh, dualization, so this insider-outsider kind of fragmentation of divides in labor market, stems not from a deliberate choice of the unions, uh, deciding deliberately what kind of group do they want to protect, but mostly stems from the weakening of the trade unions, and which they actually don't have any other choice than protecting, in fact, the insiders vis-à-vis -vis the outsider. So trade unions, according to Bruno Pallier and uh, Thielen, they consent uh, to this reduced outsider protection only as a second best solution when they preferred option, which is in fact increasing protection for all the, the group of workers is no longer available. Why? Because, in fact, there has been happening something in the labor market. Industrial relations, particularly, are weakening, uh, are you know eroded. But also, labor markets and welfare institutions are eroded. And we all know that since the last decades, we have seen this process of erosion going on uh, very dramatically in Europe, in all parts of Europe, uh, and having a lot of uh, uh, very uh, kind of uh, important consequences and social consequences for the workforce. So what we wanted to do in our paper was trying to revitalize this kind of argument addressed by uh, uh, Bruno Pallier and Karen Thielen by trying to assess, first of all, this argument, because in the analysis that Bruno Pallier and Thielen they do, they look at France and Germany, so they actually, uh, and, and they look at very much, you know, not the workplace level, but they look very much at the institutional embeddedness of labor market, in fact, institutions. So what we wanted to do is to assess this argument by you know, bringing in another country, which is Belgium, and also trying to link it also with another important dimension, which we think was a bit forgotten in the uh, argument of uh, Pallier and Terra, which is the macro, sort of more workplace power relations approach. In other words, and that's what we, uh, say is in fact that agency and institutional factors, they matter if we want to in fact address the question to what extent and why have or might have Western European trade unions privileged the protection of the core rather than the, uh, prote the protection of the uh, outsider. So for us, it's not only a matter of the institutions which are eroding, but it's a matter also the way our unions, because of institutions are eroding, are not all to a certain extent able to actually uh, uh, increased capacity in responding to the challenges that these erosions pose to them vis-a-vis -vis the possibility they have, in fact, to protect those workers. And that's what we try to do in the, uh, in the paper. Now, before I go and present the findings, I want to just, you know, okay, I talked already about this kind of paleontelian argument, but I want also to go a bit now, a bit larger, eh, because the debate around uh, dualization and segmentation in labor markets, something which interested a lot of scholars, sociologists, economics, uh, social economics people, political scientists, who have been in fact you know, working a lot since the last decades, since the 60s and the 70s, around segmentation and dualization in the labor market. And um, now, what actually uh, do we see here in fact? Um, well, our argument basically, um, it is very much embedded eh, into this kind of sociological analysis of dualization and social context. In other words, when we say that power relations, do they matter in terms, together with the institutional context, in terms of 
you know, explaining what do unions do they do and under what kind of condition do they do what they do, we are very much linked to the analysis of the context where unions are embedding their own uh, kind of understanding. Where in fact not only welfare employment systems are important but also firm level uh, employment status, social demographic features are very important. And there we go back to the idea of the migrants which can be also the idea of the women. In other words, if we look at this is you know, uh, uh, um, very much I think addressed in the literature so far, uh, we see that there is a sort of uh, concentration of the most vulnerable groups, social groups in society, particularly migrants and women and young people in, in fact, this kind of less privileged employment status like, you know, no standard contract, uh, no full-time uh, 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 jobs, uh, very bad jobs and so forth and so forth. Um, now, in this kind of respect, so where do we position ourselves? Well, if you look at Again, the kind of uh, theoretical approaches coming from different perspectives to dualization and segmentation, I think that where we position ourselves is very much into this one, this last block. We don't actually position ourselves into traditional 60s, 70s sociological understanding, socioeconomic understanding of dualization and segmentation in accordance to which the divides were simply the results of the productivity of the workforce. So, in other words, being an outsider or being an insiders was seen to correspond to production requirements, uh, very much so in line to capital, you know, uh, 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 kind of understanding and uh, social capital uh, sort of uh, uh, ideas. So um, we also don't see ourselves um, positioning very much into this kind of social political approach to a certain extent. Well, to a certain extent, why? Because it is true that if we need to understand why do unions do they do. Uh, again, and we need to understand under what kind of conditions do they do what they do. And if they are, they have, they are failing to protect outsiders, again, it is not a question of, you know, they are deliberately doing this because they want to protect them or they don't want to protect them, but, which is in fact the insider outside the traditional account, but we need to dig more into the trade unions' identity and traditions and understand also how do they matter in explaining, in fact, what trade unions do they do vis-a-vis -vis, uh, vulnerable groups. So, position regarding again the way how we uh, theoretically uh, embed our argument, I said before, is very much into this kind of more sociological power-based approach um, to dualization in accordance uh, to which segmentation results in fact from political processes rather than, for example, from efficiency-seeking strategies of the firms, the traditional argument of, you know, Doringer and Piore, we could say, in the 70s. Um, and accordingly to that, um, labor market segmentation therefore needs to be considered as a bargaining outcome. So this is in, again, as I said, in line with sociological understanding, particularly I mentioned here the work done by Damien Grimshaw and Jill Rubbery around these sort of issues, which they in fact argue that unions play an important role in shaping workforce structures, skills demarcation and skill ladders. And traditionally unions strive for bargaining outcomes, which limit competition among workers in internal labor market and which allow them to maintain control over skill supply and worker 
uh, knowledge. But these arrangements are in fact the results of political processes, which means that there are the results of bargaining processes between labor and management. So they reflect the kind of balance of power between capital and labor. And there is where we want to dig in, and that is you know, what we look at it. We look at it, so we look at this kind of balancing of power, not at the macro more labor market level, but we look at it more at the workplace level. And we see what kind of options this in fact opens for uh, the uh, unions and what do unions do they do. Now, said that, again, this was a study on a particular category of groups of workers. Uh, we looked um, in particular at agency workers. Uh, mostly migrants. Uh, now I will show uh, a little bit later uh, the uh, kind of more, uh, um, uh, if you like, empirical background also of the, the, the workplaces where we have been conducting our field work. You will see that uh, most of these agency workers in the workplaces in Germany and in Belgium that we have been investigating, they have a higher representation, they are highly represented by migrant workers. Now, it is important, in fact, also to position, you know, Belgium and, and, and Germany in this respect, vis-à-vis uh, -vis also the, the kind of representation of, uh, you know, how do they, uh, uh, the, the, the rate of uh, agency work and so forth. So in terms of um, Belgium and Germany, um, the institutional settings is quite similar. I mean, uh, if we look at uh, how Germany and Belgium, they are normally considered in, again, traditional understanding of the varieties of capitalism approach rather than welfare state institutional approach, we see that mostly Belgium and Germany are always, you know, putting these kind within the same basket. And so they are coordinated market economies, or they are considered as being, in fact, two countries where welfare institutions are relatively strong. Now, uh, that's true, but if we dig into more details on that, we see that Belgium and Germany are quite different. Uh, different in terms of the union strengths, and this was very important for us empirically because we wanted to assess that. Uh, and see what does it mean in terms of then uh, you know impact uh, for the representation and for the kind of arrangements around flexibility and security they make in workplaces uh, for agency and migrant workers. We see that in Belgium, you know, the density union density rate is uh, much higher than in uh, Germany. Uh, in the workplaces uh, we have been looking at, this was also very much uh, um, kind of uh, reflected. Although you know the the gap between uh, uh, Belgium and Germany in terms of union density was much lower than what you know it is represented here in terms of macro numbers. Um, we also see that in terms of agency work, Belgium and Germany, now at the time we did our empirical research, now I'm talking about uh, the period between 2010 and 2014, 13-14, yeah? So now the legislation in Germany changed quite a lot as well regarding agency work, but nevertheless remains always a bit, you know, less uh, less uh, less rigid or less let's say encompassing than in Belgium. But nevertheless, at that time there were remarkable differences in the, in terms of employment protection and also collective bargaining regulations regar regarding uh, you know overall uh, um, groups in labour market, but particularly for agency work. What does it mean that it means that 
first of all, uh, in Belgium we see that the unions have been since the 80s not resisting you know, flexibility in terms of the flexibility which could have been provided by agency work. What they've been actually trying to do was to regulate this flexibility. And regulating flexibility in terms of protecting, creating the institutions which were there, but extending those institutions, making those encompassing also for agency work in terms of minimum wages, in terms of all sorts of regulations. Yeah? So those agency workers in the case of Belgium have been you know, actually enjoying the sort of protection uh, uh, similar to the permanent uh, workers. Um, and also in terms you know, of the extension of collective bargaining. For example, agency workers in Belgium have been embedded into the sector level uh, uh, bargaining. Eh? So they are not a group apart where you know, different arrangements are made. For example, in the metal sector, you know, agency workers in the metal sector are part of the sector level bargaining. Now, this was not the case in Germany. Yeah? In Germany, minimum wages, for example, for agency workers have been introduced only in 2014-15. So by the time when we did our research, they were not. So they were, and, and secondly, um, we see also that the sector of collective bargaining regulation for those groups of workers was not so much encompassing as it was uh, not as much as in Belgium. In terms of the rate of agency work, we see in fact, okay, there you have the numbers that, you know, the rate is not so much different, mm -hmm. eh, which was also interesting for us to see, which means that in both countries, I mean, it is not that because of the much kind of, uh, uh, of the less protected labor market, agency workers are used more than or less than in other countries, which is interesting to see because, again, in labor market terminology, we know that people tend to claim and say, well, we need to, you know, deregulate this kind of, uh, uh, we need to provide flexibility, we need to deregulate uh, no standard workers, we need to, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, offer uh, the opportunity to, uh, to companies uh, to, uh, uh, to have, uh, to enjoy flexibility, otherwise, you know, this uh, creates um, a disaster on the labor market. Well, that's absolutely uh, not the case. Um, and also, can I, what, can I just interrupt? Yeah. Depending on what you mean by agency work, this proportion seems tiny. Yeah, it's uh, not, yeah. But if you were to extend that to other kinds of precarious employment, I would imagine that the proportion must be much more. Yeah, it can be higher, yeah. In this university, it's about two-thirds yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But these are, the, yeah. From here, a different place, but I find it hard to believe that the figures are so small. But this is in 2007, eh? Yeah, this is in yeah. 2007, yeah. and these they come basically from uh, the uh, statistics, which you know have been uh, the, the national statistics, uh, which came from the Belgium and the German side. So at that time, at the national level, but I guess that you are right. I mean, if you then probably uh, consider, uh, I don't know, per kind of sectors, yeah. well, uh, per industry, might be higher. It seems very low too. Yeah, it seems very low in fact, and also not so much different, again, as I was saying, that was also surprising. I mean, we would have, uh, uh, you know, expected to have much higher in Germany than in Belgium, for example, yeah, because of the, if these uh, kind of understanding about labor market flexibility, they work, then it should, you know, provide more, but was not the case. Um, now, uh, what also 
also we could um, see here is that um, okay there was well apart the you know, antidote not but important for us is the equal treatment principle uh, which means that particularly in Belgium rather than in Germany at the time again that we developed our research we could see that this equal treatment principle was in place. So in terms of working conditions, again, agency workers, and when I talk about agency workers, you know, I'm referring to the people inside these groups, so including the migrants who were there, uh, they could actually be treated equally in terms of wages, in terms of whatever kind of working conditions with our other uh, permanent groups of workers, which was absolutely not the case at that time in Germany for the reason that I, I explained. And of course, all these had a lot of implication also for welfare, yeah, uh, and the kind of welfare social uh, 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 benefits that these people could um, uh, uh, build upon uh, during their own uh, career of uh, employment. Now, what we could see, and that's also what I said before, that might be, you know, uh, interested in the reason why, probably why I'm here. Uh, migrant workers in all both groups were overrepresented, particularly in the uh, empirical data that we have been collecting, and particularly in the workplaces where we have been uh, developing our uh, research. Uh, also, in uh, well, particularly in, 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 in with regards to the uh, uh, the, the the kind of um, approaches. Uh, of trade unions in terms of inclusion policy vis-à-vis uh, -vis the migrant workers in Belgium and in Germany, uh, what we see here is that in both countries there was a kind of policy from the side of the trade unions uh, uh, of equal treatment of these migrant workers. Now, of course, this is, you know, in one point in time. We know that if we go back historically, eh, we know that, of course, situations have been different. Uh, both Germany and Belgium, if we look back, well, since the time of the Second World War, they were actually not uh, having the same sort of position. Uh, they were resisting also um, the, the kind of uh, 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 migrant uh, uh, workers, uh, and they have been, you know, less inclusive than. Uh, um, uh, at this time, but nevertheless, you know, at the time when we developed our interviews uh, and our research, that was the, uh, the case. And also, we could see that, for example, uh, now, our research was in workplaces in the metal sector. And there we see, for example, that in Germany, IG Metall was also, um, you know, very quick uh, uh, in uh, organizing, informing, and servicing the large inflow of uh, foreign workers, setting up specific departments for this sort of uh, purpose. For example, a company level, exclusionary and discriminatory um, practices by Wars Council were, of course, as I said before, initially frequent, but over time, foreign workers also started to make up an increasing share of union officers and also representatives and Wars Council's members. And by the mid-2000, between 4.5% and 5 percent of the Wars Council members were migrant in the manufacturing sector union of AG Metal. Um, and also this was also the case in the, uh, in the chemical sector and in the uh, construction as well. Now in terms of unionization, according uh, to the European social survey data, the gap between national and migrant uh, uh, workers was in Germany one of the smallest in the European Union. It's about 20% vis-a-vis 18% 
and also much smaller than in Belgium, where the data here is about 51% and vis-à-vis 33%. Uh, so German unions, and particularly, as I said before, IG Metall, have uh, also developed specific, have been very quite inclusive, developing specific structure as well as migrant committees, which, okay, we can discuss, we were having a discussion with Emre on that, you know, whether creating these migrant committees where all migrants are there representing their own migrants might create much more segregation than inclusion. That is a point, you know, of debate. But nevertheless, uh, for them, from their own side of Iggy Metal kind of officer, union officer, this means, you know, inclusion. Um, in Belgium, unions have also followed uh, similar development as in Germany. Uh, again, soon after the Second World War, the Belgium Union's discourse focused on the promotion of equal treatment and opportunities for workers. There was a kind of very uh, kind of policy of anti-racism, the promotion also of citizenship and social uh, clauses against discrimination at work. Uh, and over time, also we see that the Belgium Union stepped up the engagement against racism, discrimination at work, and also they were very much in favor for the regularization of the migrant uh, uh, world. And they also, as the German, they also established separate migrant structures as a reflection of this inclusive policy. Again, this, you know, we need to, um, we can debate on that. But what is also uh, probably interesting to see is that in both cases, Belgium and Germany, unions stressed also that they were uh, not opposed to migrant workers, so they you know, trying to in, 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 uh, include them, but they were excluding, they were oppos um, opposing the idea of temporary uh, immigration, especially if it was achieved through the posting uh, of the use of agency and the movement of services. And this is still the position that we have in both Germany and Belgium. So this is a big picture just to say, okay, so that's the kind of traditions and policy that trade unions from a kind of more macro uh, perspective have been developing vis-a-vis the migrant uh, workers in both countries. So inclusive vis-a-vis -vis migrant, inclusive vis-a-vis -vis agency workers in terms of providing you know, uh, certain issues, but as I said before, for agency workers, the situation of Belgium looks from a legislative, institutional, regulatory point of view much better than in Germany, okay? Now, let me, uh, this is a kind of background information, now let me go into the findings part. Now, as I said to you, we were interested in, you know, again, uh, exploring the idea of uh, the power relations and the way how these power relations, do they matter, uh, together with the institutions in shaping um, specific uh, choices or uh, approaches that unions uh, take arrangements that they make in workplaces regarding you know the working conditions of these workers and we developed um, uh, field work in four similar workplaces of two big multinational companies in the automotive automotive sector so metal sector now we kept constant certain sort of uh, variables like for example uh, technology uh, the nature of the production process which was very much kind of standardized in a way so the the product was uh, you know uh, very much uh, standard product, the size of the workplace, the union presence also, uh, we, uh, we tried also here to uh, keep it uh, a bit uh, constant as much as possible, and also the use of agency workers and the representation of migrant workers within the group of agency workers for flexibility purposes in these workplaces. 
Um, the share of migrants you see is in fact not so much you know, uh, different. Uh, it's about 35%, 45% in all the workplaces we have been looking at. Now, looking at multinational per se was not, you know, it was for us just a way to in fact maintain a, a possibility for comparison, maintain constant uh, these kind of workplaces to assess much more the importance of our, you know, uh, sort of uh, uh, explanatory variables. Uh, this is the way how we named the, uh, the, the, the companies uh, and the workplaces. They are anonymous, of course. We developed case studies with semi-structured interviews uh, and we used Envivo for uh, analysis. Anyway, we used also a lot of secondary uh, documents uh, for the analysis. Yes. Now let me go and, 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 and say, so what we are interested is to say, okay, how do they use these agency workers, particularly where these work, migrant workers are overrepresented? And here we could see that in all, so we start here with the German case, and we see that, well, first of all, I must say that in all the investigated workplaces, both Germany and Belgium, we saw that the unions, together with the management, were using, in fact, specific quotas for the uh, agency workers in order to, to a certain extent, limit the use of agency workers. However, uh, the extent to which and this could have been done, eh, it was different, as well as the processes through which the diverse, uh, uh, the diverse quotas were uh, negotiated were completely different between Belgium and uh, uh, Germany. And um, what particularly we see here in this German story, despite the differences which are you know, uh, indicated in these slides, what we see basically is that in both workplaces we have been looking at of these two different multinationals, we see that the quota was, okay, relatively you know, uh, contained but also uh, not so low. Um, but secondly, what we see is that the worst council particularly, in these both situations, they um, uh, made concessions on the use of agency workers, so they conceded kind of flexibility through agency workers where these migrants were overrepresented in order to get back what protection for their own core workers. So really looks like the insider-outsider uh, story. So in both cases we see that in fact agency workers were used as this flexible buffer to secure the jobs of the core or to safeguard the insiders during in fact the crisis and keep these permanent workers you know, working full time permanently in the plant and not to have uh, uh, you know, any kind of implications or to have to pay social implications for that. So all these contributed, uh, this kind of negotiation and arrangement around flexibility and security uh, contributed to do what? Contributed to the worst councils to, in fact, secure employment and particularly the survival of the plan. So as a result of these kind of arrangements, the, the, the managers, particularly at the local level and the big boss at the headquarter, they decided not to close the plans, both, which were, by the way, under threat because of the situation of the crisis and many other issues. I'm not gonna uh, get into that because there is no time, but if you want to know more about that, I will, uh, I will say. And here I have some quotes uh, which in fact, uh, well, some of the quotes we collected by talking with Wars Council, which in fact reflect this kind of uh, you know, approach that they used. We can read here the 
in faith and say, well, okay, we understand, but we need to do it because we need to guarantee the say the, the, the we need to guarantee the plank first of all, it doesn't have to close. Eh? So this kind of uh, uh, idea of protecting employment, which is you know a kind of fundum in the uh, end of the uh, both wars council and trade unions in Germany, yeah. And and, and secondly, uh, we need to do it by giving in flexibility. And how do we give in flexibility? By delivering agency workers, which are, by the way, uh, benefiting not at the same level of permanent workers. Okay, so I'm not going to read across the quotes. The story in Belgium was completely different. In Belgium, what we see here is that, well, first of all, you could see the quota is completely lower, well, it's much lower than the German quota. In uh, this company, Metal Bear, we had a quarter of 5% of agency work, which was negotiated. And, you know, in the other company, there was even no agency work, but there was a relatively high quota negotiated for first term contracts. Uh, secondly, what we see here is that the unions followed a very specific strategy. The worst councils, so unions, local unions in Belgium, they basically, um, well, strong of the regulatory framework in terms of, you know, the way also the agency workers are regulated in terms of protection in the labor market in Belgium, they actually made sort of arrangements so that they could use less agency contracts using other forms of flexibility, now this we have to say, eh, which are available on the labor market. For example, in Belgium, um, there is the opportunity for, in situation of crisis, for example, for companies to negotiate with unions what we call being temporary unemployment. Temporary unemployment is uh, you know, a kind of uh, possibility companies they have to put people on unemployment, uh, temporary unemployment benefit, of the crisis and then bring them back to work. Okay, so having these kind of other measure of flexibility, which is temporary employment, of course, you well help the baby unions, facilitated them in negotiating with company on the use of also agency work. Yeah, so this you know is also interesting to be uh, said. But what they also have been able to do is to um, make arrangements so that via the agency, they were getting agency workers, which were considered, when they were actually brought back into the, the, the workplaces, were considered as, you know, a, a working in a sort of, for example, metal the extended probation period, and at the end, if those people were good, they had the opportunity to be employed as permanent employees in the plant. Now, this was the situation of metal day. In machine day was completely different. The agency workers were, uh, well, the agency workers, no, but the fixed-term contracts were employed as people that they were used to be, well, was a mechanism for, for management to screen through the uh, employment of fixed-term contract their own workers for permanent positions. So what I want to say here is that either agency workers or fixed-term contract were actually used as not buffer per se in Belgium, in both workplaces, but were used in such a way to give flexibility, but with the opportunity to get, to, to get also uh, security in the long or medium term. Okay? 
this was part of the arrangement. So that was also why training was very important and companies were actually investing in training. Training with those workers was in fact uh, provided in both uh, workplaces without any sort of uh, distinctions. Um, and uh, also what we could see is that the, not only the working conditions of those flexible employees, so let's call them that way, um, were actually uh, good, eh? uh, but also the, uh, the kind of um, uh, protection that those employees could benefit from a sort of welfare perspective was also good because of, okay, the protection on the labor market, um, but also because the unions, for example, in one company, particularly in Metal Bay, they're able to negotiate with the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the management the possibility to offer to them voluntary hospitalization to a temporary agency work. Now, you might tell to me, well, what does it mean this? Well, in Belgium, as I told you before, equal principles apply for both permanent and flexible workers, whatever they are, but with the only exception for temporary agency workers regarding hospitalization. In other words, there is no equality eh, in hospitalization benefits uh, between temporary agency workers and permanent workers. So what the unions did in this situation, they were able to uh, make an agreement with the company to offer these hospitalization uh, uh, benefits to agency workers which were not provided by the regulatory legislative framework in the uh, context. And the same you know, was done in the other workplaces there, we don't talk about hospitalization, but also uh, insurance packages for regular and flexible workers were in fact also negotiated. So now the question is, how do we explain all this? Now, the way how we explain all this, well here you have also, oh wait, yeah, there are just to add some quotes also to give you the kind of again feeling about how trade unionists eh, and also managers they look at these uh, flexible workers and you know at the flexibility which is uh, uh, given by them. Eh? Um, so in the first point you see unions even refuse to do certain things. There was a case where you know they refused to have agency, but they actually obliged the company. Uh, well, they obliged. They negotiate a 20% quota of fixed term contract. And the second is in fact also you know how managers see uh, the use of flexibility and they see you know the way how they can exploit flexibility between regular and agency workers. So there is no difference basically for them. Now. We explain all these. Well, that's what we got at the end. So we have concession bargaining for Germany in both in both workplaces, uh, with protection of the insiders vis-à-vis -vis the outsiders. So traditional uh, insider-outsider question. In the second, we have in, uh, unions engaging in negotiation to announce the working conditions of all employees. How do we explain that? Well, we explain that by saying that what, and this I come probably to the conclusion, but uh, I want to say a bit more than the conclusion. So the way how basically we explain it, as I said before, I mean, we think that here, of course, the institutional context matters. Uh, but in the year we assess, as I said before, the argument of Tillen uh, and, and, and Bruno Pallier. Uh, so we say, yes, it is true. Uh, so unions actually, uh, in contexts where they are struggling because they don't have the institutions which protect 
some sort of workers, they struggle also to make arrangements for the protection of those workers. So it is nothing to do with the union's deliberate choice to go for one group against the other, but it's more the institutional setting. As I said before, uh, in Germany, the institutional settings, also regarding the regulation of uh, uh, agency work, is much, let's say, weaker than uh, the situation in Belgium. In Belgium, also, the institutional industrial relations are much more encompassing, there is much more coordination, there is also articulation across the different levels, there is much more strength in representativeness of the unions, um, not only because union density is higher, but also because the unions are actually much more present uh, um, uh, at the shop floor in terms of, for example, strike activity and mobilization activity, the unions in Belgium, they are able to, you know, people they are able to mobilize are much higher. Well, of course, you might tell me, yes, but there is a gain system. Yeah, it is a story of the gain system, of course. But there is also another important issue that sometimes we forget about it, at least I feel that we forget about it. In Belgium, unions are really kind of, there is a kind of very interesting linkages, articulation between the macro level and the local level. They are, as much as they are linked to the kind of more or a corporatist system, eh? making dialogue and making arrangements with the government or whatsoever, they also are very much embedded with rank and file. So there are the, the, the capacity of mobilization of the unions in Belgium is really uh, relatively much higher and stronger than it is in, 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 in Germany. So certainly, we say the, 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 the argument of uh, Bruno Tadier and, and, uh, and Dylan is very important. But also, what, um, in, in terms of this uh, strong bargaining and representation uh, capacity that the Belgian unions they have. Um, but also, what we see here is not only to do with institutions per se, but it's also very much to do with the capacity that these institutions, to a certain extent, offer to the unions, to uh, the Deliver. So the capacity they have to deliver certain sort of um, um, of, uh, um, of outcome, and um, what the um, comparison um, of the findings suggests is that unions' different degrees of intervention as political actors in the regulation of the employment relationship at the Belgium and German workplaces was different, and these basically concurred to shape different working conditions while influencing segmentation at the workplaces. In other words, it is you know, a story of workplaces rather than a pure story of institutions. As such, institutions could have delivered also different other trajectories, but this was absolutely not, uh, not the case. So, in conclusion, what we could say here, well, for us, dualization follows a political rather than an economic logic. So, uh, in fact, the differences that we could see between the plans follow, of course, country lines. That's uh, absolutely clear. Germany on one side and Belgium on the other side. Uh, rather than, you know, the sector, eh? machinery on one side and metalworking or whatever you want to call it on the other side, despite we looked at the manufacturing sector. Um, but uh, after, of course, adding kept also the organizational factors constant. Um, but these also uh, point us to the importance of, and that's what we want to underline here in the paper, of the political games which are made in social settings and which, in fact, 
embed the, embed the sort of arrangements which are made between local managers on one side and local unions on the other side. So the Belgian cases in particular show that dualization is in fact not a sort of uh, unavoidable outcome of coordinated market economies, as some comparative political economy uh, might would uh, suggest, uh, as in fact we see here, particularly in the Belgian situation, that in certain conditions or under certain conditions, the unions can effectively reduce inequality uh, between insiders and outsiders. And secondly, also, uh, what we want to um, say here um, is that, again, this confirms the argument of uh, Pallier and Telen that segmentation is not a first choice for the unions, probably is the second best option for the unions, that they don't have much more strength. But the crucial variable for us here are not the institutions per se are in fact the sphere or the area of power relations which this institution constructs uh, or they make available to the local actors at the local level, particularly the employers and the employees, which in fact, according to us, explains how workforce segmentation works and how divides are uh, made, which are completely you know, um, behind a pure uh, logic of organizational efficiency of the firm, as you know, a traditional segmentation um, theory would have um, argued. So if we want to bring much more precision uh, to the argument of uh, Thielen and, and Pallier, um, we could actually say that we talk in fact about these institutions and agency um, argument in mediating these different union uh, approaches. Um, where, which in fact basically uh, uh, matters uh, for us uh, very much. And the implication of all this could be to ask, well, do unions have space then for strategic choice? Um, well, the fact of what we say here is that yes, they have a space for strategic choice, even in contexts where this space is very limited or looks like limited, like Germany. Why? Because what we also um, uh, uh, argue here and what we think that our analysis could suggest is that the failure to prevent dualization in Germany is in fact linked to specific, of course, not favorable legal and political context and also notably the less binding and encompassing nature of minimum wages, sectoral agreements, welfare in comparison to the Belgium. But a German Union strategy against dualization should focus and can be focused, although this kind of very not nice institutional context, on trying to exploiting the current labor market power, so this having low unemployment rate, to modify those kind of contexts. And this is in fact what is happening a bit, and what happened also in Germany, when in fact uh, you know, they, uh, they started, particularly from also the union side, to, to, to fight for the introduction of minimum wages, to fight for a much more regulatory framework and making much stronger this kind of institutional uh, framework in which they are, uh, they are embedded. So uh, uh, there is, according to us, always a space for uh, uh, a strategic choice for the unions and to improving their own strategic choice in you know, the context in which they operate. And that's it. <laughs>